Acts 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples, followers of Jesus, gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Now I'm thinking rising up is awesome. Power! Woo! I'm thinking entering the city is stupidity. But when you have the power of God, you just follow God, right? You don't worry about human wisdom. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Derby's an important place. You'll see that later. Or maybe you read it about Timothy. When they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22 strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, not in every city, but every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. All right, I want you to see three things right here. And this has got to be really quick, but I want you to see a pattern. What's the plan? You want to see power? You want to make disciples? So what's the plan? Paul lays out a plan. It's like a succession plan. I got stoned. I could die at any minute. Here's the plan to make, plant, make disciples and plant churches. Right? This is the plan. So I'll call it the way of Jesus. This is the plan to accomplish the way of Jesus. Here it is. What's the plan? Number one, you see it in verse 21. I love how he just, I don't know how God does this, but number one, 21, okay? Preach the gospel, make many disciples. That's the plan. I'm going to preach the gospel today, make many disciples. That's the plan. Number two, verse 22, strengthen the souls of the disciples. So you're going to make new disciples, but you're going to strengthen the souls of old disciples. you got both going on at the same time. Strengthen the souls of the disciples. Now he gives you two-pronged attack for doing that. One, encourage them. Encourage them to continue in the faith. Sometimes it's hard to continue to have faith. Is it hard to continue to have faith? Can I get a, yes it is? Not an amen. I don't want that, that to be so. But yes, it is hard. So I want to encourage you every week to continue in the faith. To trust God. I want to build your faith. And then second, I want to remind you every week that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, that's not good news. It is if you believe in Jesus, because Jesus in John chapter 16 said, in this world, in this life, you will have tribulations, but take heart, let your heart take courage. I have overcome the world. I'm giving you peace, shalom, rest. 
in this world, even in the tribulation. All right. Number three, appoint spiritual leaders. Can we just do that today? We kind of did. Like, that's cool. And those aren't our spiritual leaders forever. They're through August 2022. But we have spiritual leaders. Praise the Lord. We want that. We need that. And would you start to pray that God would give us more spiritual leaders? Right? That he would raise up people that meet elder qualifications, not to increase their resume. Oh, my Christian resume looks great. I'm an elder. Who cares? If you really knew what eldering was, dying to yourself for the bride of Christ, for the church, that's what we all should be doing. But it's like elders times 10 or 100, whatever. Appoint spiritual leaders. Preach the gospel, make many disciples. Strengthen the souls of those disciples, appoint spiritual leaders, move on to the next city. That's the plan. That's the way. And he says that they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So it's like Paul would do that, but then he's like, you're the Lord's. I commit you to the Lord. Jesus is the head of this body. Not Paul. I love that. And he connected people in the local church to Jesus. How do we do that? Because that's what we want to do, right? I want to connect people in the local church to Jesus. You want to connect people that you bring to Christ through the gospel to Jesus. Not to you, not to your way, but to Jesus. We want to make disciples of Jesus. Many of them. As many as God has called to himself through grace, love, and faith. Now, there's a problem And I see it in Scripture. Did you read Acts chapter 15 through 21? If you did, you saw the problem too. Here's the problem. I'll put it on the screen. We have taught people to follow our preferences rather than God's plan. Ding! I might have just nailed that on the head. Well, that's because it's not for me. God is screaming in his word, you're teaching people to follow your preferences instead of my plan. And we need to repent. The solution is for all of us to seek God's heart, to search the scriptures like the Bereans did, for clarity around following Jesus. How do I follow Jesus? Not how do I follow Lift Church. Not how do I follow Steve Diedrich. Not how do I follow my small group leader. How do I follow Jesus? Well, if your small group leader and your pastor and your spiritual leaders are following Jesus, you can feel free to follow them. God's given them authority. And you want to follow them. But how do you do that? By seeking God's heart. By searching the scriptures. By finding clarity. 
around following Jesus. Let me just say it the way I would say it, maybe on Twitter or something. Uh, Make disciples of Jesus as the Spirit leads. Okay? That's what you do. Make disciples of Jesus as the Spirit leads. That's the solution. And you're going to see it here in Scripture. So again, I come back to this. What's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? God's plan, and I'm going to spend the rest of our time on this. God's plan is transformation, not tradition. Oh, I'm going to say it again. Oh, I'm going to kill something today. God's plan is transformation, not tradition. You mean my infant baptism is in the way? It might be. Depends on how you look at it. You mean what my pastor said when I was 5 to 10 that's really ingrained in my heart because I listened to him when I was Mila's age and everything was soaking in and that's my theology? You mean I have to think about that? You might have to if it's tradition instead of transformation in Jesus. We want to seek God's heart, right? And search the scriptures for clarity on following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus as closely as anyone's ever followed him. And that's a huge task for me because I didn't spend three years walking with him. Or like Paul, three years in the desert in Arabia, getting visions from them. But I want to follow Jesus as closely as anyone's ever followed him. And Jesus has given you exactly what you need to do that. Because Jesus followed God closer than any man ever did. As a matter of fact, he followed him perfectly. Their wills were aligned. A lot of people say, well, that's just because Jesus was God. Think about it again. Jesus chose not to use his Godness so that he could be like us and experience everything we've experienced. In the past, I've said he'd emptied himself of that. I, clearer understanding, he chose not to. It's not that he emptied himself. He had it. He could have used it. He chose not to use it so that he could be like you and me. And yet without sin, how? The Holy Spirit. He was endowed with the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see it in Scripture. If you search the Scriptures, if you seek God's heart, you'll see it so clearly. He had the Holy Spirit. So do you. Jesus is offering you the Holy Spirit. You can live like Jesus. And if you can't, then it's a big trick. You can be transformed through the renewing of your mind 
in Jesus' name. Now, God's plan is transformation, not tradition. So I want to throw a few tradition things that I see in one of the chapters here. Chapter 15. Just look at chapter 15 quick. I, again, um, if you're visiting with us, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to highlight some things because we're reading it as a church. I don't want to be redundant. But here it is. Um, Look at verse 1. But some men come down from Judah and were teaching the brothers and the sisters, unless you are circumcised... According to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. I want you to think about that. Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Do people even know what circumcision is anymore, really? I mean, kind of. It's not really a thing to us like it was in Israel. You weren't an Israelite, you weren't a Jew, you weren't accepted in the culture unless you were circumcised. And if you were circumcised on the eighth day, that was better yet. That was the right way. I mean, it gets grosser. I can get into more legalism. But Jesus came to earth and fulfilled the law so that we're not under the law. The law is not a burden like the land, right? It's not a burden. It's a blessing. We have it. We can steward it for God's glory. The, the law can be looked at as a burden. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. We know a little bit about what God wants and a little bit of what God doesn't want. That helps us to live in such a way that might honor God without the legalism. And the Holy Spirit will guide you to what things are important. Let me just throw a few things up here. The first one being circumcision. Transformation, not tradition, right? Transformation, not tradition. Circumcision. The second thing is keeping the law of Moses. He says that in the next verse. Go down to verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary. What are Pharisees doing in the church? That's what they're doing. They're in the church. They're in the apostles and elders meeting. No, we're not like that. No Pharisees in our church. Think again. If it happened that close to Jesus Christ, it happened 2,000 years later. We have to be alert. We have to be on guard. We have to be careful. You have to care for yourself and for the flock. And one of the ways we care is by creating a safe place so people can have their sin, right? And it can be looked at in a way that will be able to be handled in a grace-filled, gentle way and help people get on with it, right? That's not who you are. Okay, we're going to put that. What's the reason? What's the cause for that? Okay, get it out in the open, right? Rather than hiding. If you brought sin with you and you're hiding it today, that's not here. That's not this. That's not, that's religion. That's not true Christianity. That's not Jesus Christ. You can't hide your sin from Jesus. Let's just be honest. He looks right through you. Keeping the law of Moses. And then judgment and rules. I mean, I want to just, 
There's so much in this passage I don't really enjoy. First Peter says, hey, God decided. Then he says, why don't you all be silent? He doesn't even have to say it. They just all shut up. All the dissension stops, and they start listening to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas go, look what God's doing in the Gentiles. Through grace, not law. Woo! And then, James, the leader of the church. Ugh! James, you're Jesus' brother. What's going on, James? Gets up there and he says, therefore my judgment. Now, I don't want to speak poorly of authority. But I don't want to know your judgment. I want to know what God says. Is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Just stop there, James. That's my judgment. We're not going to trouble those that are come, come to faith in Christ and the Gentiles. We're not going to trouble them. And we're not going to trouble the Jews either. And just add that on. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't stop. He says, but. So what does but mean? Opposite of before, right? We are going to trouble you with this. We don't want to trouble you, but we are going to trouble you with this. Abstinence from things polluted to idols. Do we even believe in idols? Do you believe that this is an idol? It is. It, it, you could be, but I don't think it is. Because this thing made with a hand, it's not a God. I don't believe in this. I believe in one true God. You can offer me anything you want to offer me. It's fine for me to eat because I don't believe in idols. I don't believe they exist. There's no other God but God. So idols are made up things. It's make-believe. It's fairy tale. It's Disneyland. That might be an idol. And from sexual morality. If this wasn't in here, I'd really take it to slaughter. Sexual morality is a good principle. You don't want to do that. It's going to hurt your relationship with God. Because God wants you to be pure before Him. God wants you to be His. From what has been strangled? Does that, even, that doesn't compute to me. Does that, does it matter? Hey, chicken, don't they like twist the chicken's head off? Am I not supposed to eat chicken? I don't like, what am I, I don't know what, what's strangled? This doesn't make sense to us and we don't care. And from blood. Well, we know the blood of Jesus is the only blood that matters. So you have all these things, all these judgments, all these rules, abstain from one, two, three, four, and you'll be better. And then he gets to this verse. From the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. What is he saying? Here's how I read that. Guys, we've got to keep up appearances. This has been happening for a while. And there's, there's synagogues in every place. Like we gotta like, we got to keep the thing going. 
We have to continue our traditions and preserve our religious presumptions and our preferences. At one point, God said, so it still matters. Again, you go to verses 30 through 35, and the Gentiles rejoice at hearing that instead of 613 commands, including circumcision, which would have been a very painful process, all they needed to do was think about these four rules. So they were like, yeah! But I want to follow Jesus closely. What is the command that Jesus gave his followers? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if this affects my neighbor, I guess maybe I can be in on that. Love your neighbor as yourself. This fulfills, completes all of the law, all of the prophets. So I hope you're getting the point. It's not about tradition. It's about transformation. Less law is encouraging. Yeah? Does that encourage you? Would you rejoice? Hey, we don't have to keep that rule. Hey, we don't have to keep that rule. Hey, we don't have to keep that rule. Less law is encouraging. So they rejoice. The people rejoice. But look at the end. Chapter 15, verse 32. And Judas and Silas, who were sent with them, who were themselves prophets, encouraged, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. They had prophetic words for people. And that encouraged the brothers. And after they'd spent some time, they were sent off with peace by the brothers who had sent them. And, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So there was many preachers and teachers. And what they did was they preached the gospel and taught the word of God, the scriptures to people, in a loving way. And that built up the body. That caused transformation. So they were strengthening the churches. Now, there's so much more I want to say I need to be done. I'm going to skip that page. Flip over to Acts 18. Have you heard of Apollos? Did you read about him? Apollos came. I'm trying to decide if I should continue. I really want us to participate. We only have 15 minutes. So, I feel like God's given me a word. I'm going to proceed. I'm going to try to make it short, but I don't want to empty it of its power. 
So you're going to need to do some homework at home. I hate that. People give me homework. You're going to need to do some homework at home. You're going to have to think about what I say. So, in chapter 18, there's this guy named Apollos. I'm just going to read it for you. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. I like listening to him. That's better than me. Competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, the way of Jesus. And being fervent in spirit, or the Holy Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then there's a kind of this parenthesis. Though he knew only the baptism of John. He knew about water baptism for repentance, leading you to Jesus. But he didn't know about spirit baptism from Jesus. Jesus is the one that baptized you with the spirit, leading to power. He didn't know about that one. He just knew about this one. He knew he was saved, he was going to heaven, and it was awesome. And he wanted to tell everybody about that, and he wanted to get them in water, and he wanted to be great. Let's go. I'm on his plan. I've been on his plan for years. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, Jews, but when Priscilla and Aquila, these are guys that have been with Paul, they're Paul's disciples, heard him, they took him aside, so privately, and explained to him the way of God. Is Jesus God? He knew the way of Jesus, right? They explained to him the way of God. What does it say? More accurately. Do you think that possibly what you believe about God could be explained more accurately? I do. It happens weekly. I'm sitting there with the Lord, and he's like, boom. I'm like, what? Never got that before. More accurately. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, he also uses us to do that. Maybe he'll use me in your life today. And when he had wished to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. They wrote letters, and they said, welcome him. And, you know, he was in the tribe now. It was great. I think I want to read this. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace. I think that's important. He helped people who through grace had believed, not through law had believed. Something switched in him. It's not, hey, Jews, you need to be baptized too for the forgiveness of your sins. It's everybody needs the power of the Holy Spirit. It's grace, not law. It's amazing. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you care if Jesus is the Messiah or not? I mean, really, do we? Because we're not Jews. So we're not looking for a Messiah. But if you read the Old Testament, and you know the Jews were looking for a Messiah, then you're like, yeah, I want a Messiah. I want the Jews' Messiah. Because it's for everyone, right? 
but we're not in a Jewish culture, and we're not in a Christian society. So people don't really care about Christ. It's a swear word. Or Messiah, Savior. They don't really think they need one. It means they're bad. If they need Savior, then that means I'm bad. And I'm not bad, I'm good. Hopefully that makes sense. Here, we have a problem in Scripture. We have legalism. And then we have a guy who's eloquent in presenting the gospel, but doesn't know about the Holy Spirit. Let me read the rest of the story. Verse 19, or chapter 19. And when it happened that Apollos was at Corinth, so he left, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Disciples of who? Of Jesus. We're not talking about anybody else's disciples of anybody else. They're disciples of Jesus. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? How did he know to ask that? Obviously there was some interaction. Maybe it was the way they are acting. What they were focused on. And they said, No, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Or that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Okay, well, this goes to baptism then. There's water baptism, there's spirit baptism. This goes to baptism. So he asks this question. Into what then were you baptized? Do you know what you were baptized into? Well, yeah, I was infant. I was baptized in water. Sprinkled, actually. Okay. Baptism means immersed. So maybe you've been baptized into nothing. Right? Again, not to be offensive, just to be honest with the Scriptures. Baptism means immerse, dunk, go under, into, be soaked with. So he asked, and they said into John's baptism. We were baptized in water. And Paul said, John, here's some clarity. John baptized with the, with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. John's over here, he's baptizing water for repentance, and he's saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus. Look, Jesus is going to die. He's going to go in the tomb. Jesus is going to raise up from the dead. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what Paul is doing. And we're still doing it today. Jesus, 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 right? But what is he pointing to? To Jesus. And what does Jesus point us to? The Holy Spirit himself, whom he left for us. He said, can we throw this slide up there? It's at the beginning of the slide. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. He said right before that, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit. I mean, this is straight Scripture. On hearing this, guess what? They got mad and said, our traditions matter. 
We don't need anything else. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Stop talking. Is that what they did? No. On hearing this, they were baptized in or into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now I have a question. Because it says the word baptized, what are you thinking? You're thinking water, right? They were baptized in the name of Jesus. So what were they baptized into before? The name of John? Is that what we're thinking? No, because Jesus was baptized in the name of Jesus. Uh, John was baptized in the name of Jesus. Right? He's like, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing people to Jesus, to the Messiah. Were they rebaptized? I'm, I'm asking now. I'm not telling. I'm asking. Were they rebaptized in water in the name of Jesus? I don't think so. Maybe. But I don't think so. That doesn't make sense with the text. It says, and this will give it away. It says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them. When's the last time we heard that phrase in Acts? Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What chapter was that? Chapter 8. So, baptism of the Spirit, laying on of hands, chapter 8, and here's the next time it's used. He laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. That blows my mind. Because that doesn't happen in the church. So what gives? I, I, I have wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this. Take down these references. Acts chapter 2. Nobody's writing. They're done. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41. I wish I could read that for you. But basically, it's salvation. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And I have a line drawn in my Bible right there, because what I see in Scripture is, Repent and be baptized, it happened, and it should happen together. Now, that's not true of us, but in the Scriptures, it always happens together, that they repent, they're saved, and they're baptized at the same time. Every time in the Scriptures. Never separated in the Scriptures. But for us in our church, you might have got saved when you are 5, you might get baptized when you are 12. Exhibit A. Right? Or you might have got saved when you are 16, and baptized when you are 31. Exhibit A. You're like, well, which one's your story if you're Exhibit A? <laughs> Both. I thought I was saved at 5, I got baptized at 12. Realized I wasn't saved, got saved at 16, got baptized at 31. Realized I was only really baptized in the baptism of John. And a few years ago, August 2020 or May 2020 or sometime around then, 
the Spirit baptized me, and I'm a completely different person. That's my story. You have your own story. But all I can share is, is what I know. And that's what they're doing in the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41, they're sharing the story of what they know. In Acts 8, 12 through 17, they're sharing the story of what they know. That's the one I referenced. In Acts 9, 15 through 18, they're sharing the story of Paul. Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. Eyes burned. He saw Jesus. You think if you see Jesus, you don't believe in him? He did. Boom. Saved in Christ. Three days later, Ananias lays his hands on him, and he receives the Holy Spirit. Then he gets up, and he goes, and he gets baptized in water. Saved, baptized in the Spirit, baptized in water. That's how it happened. So that's why I draw a line in my Bible in chapter 2 when it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Because it, number two and number three don't always go, you know what I mean? It, does, it just doesn't always work together. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 48, if you do the homework, you're going to see all of these things. If you don't do the homework, you go home and you just do what you do. Right? Some kids get A's, they do their homework. Some kids get F's, they don't. I don't know. It's just a true story, right? In Acts 10, 34 through 48, it's the Gentiles and the baptism of the Holy Spirit falls on them, and then they're baptized in water. So both baptisms are important. In Acts 19, 1 through 10, which we just read, he gives us maybe the clearest picture. You have people that are saved, they've been baptized, but they haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit, which is the one thing Jesus gave to his disciples. To what? Why did he give the Holy Spirit to his disciples? This is the punchline. To make disciples. Because if you go out and you make disciples... You're making them of Eric. If you go out and make disciples, you're making them of Mikael. If you go out and make disciples without the power, you're just making disciples of you. But Jesus ensured that people would be disciples of him by giving the Holy Spirit. So if you go with the Holy Spirit, you're making disciples of Jesus. That's the difference. I've made a lot of disciples of Steve. Tons. In Jesus' name. I'm done with that. The power of making disciples is making disciples of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to go tell your pet person, your neighbor you want to be saved, your family member you want to be saved, do you get it this time? Do you get it this time? Do you get it this time? And shove the gospel power down their throat. 
Instead, can we throw that slide back up there? The Twitter one, right? Instead, what we're going to do is make disciples of Jesus as the Spirit leads. If God doesn't highlight somebody in your life to talk to you about the gospel, then you're not listening. Because that's his mission on this earth. Can we just get it straight for a second? God wants the gospel to go out. So if you're not like, who do I, you know, if you're not getting that, then you're not listening. Because he's speaking, he's telling you, that girl in the corner that's crying, that person over there, that waitress, that co-worker, he's telling you, you're not hearing him. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling, the fullness, whatever is palatable to you. Go with that. That's what Jesus says. And you're going to make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of you. All right. I butchered that. But it's clear to me, and I hope if it's not clear to you, come ask me. It's clear to me that the only way there's power in making disciples is if we're making disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. All right.